0: Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be here this morning, and Lord, we want to hear your sermon that you have for us, so I ask that you would present that to us in a way that uh, not only we can understand, but that it would be um, interesting and, and uh, touch us. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so I, I started with a premise that I think I've heard a lot of people say something to this effect. Why does God allow suffering? And you hear it in kind of two contexts. You hear kind of the skeptic and the atheist will present it like, well, you know, they'll they'll come up with some scenario of the worst case of suffering in the world. A child suffering horribly, which happens all the time. And then they say, how could a good God allow this to happen? That just doesn't make any sense. Either God doesn't exist, or God is not good. But a good God could not allow such grotesque suffering. But implicit in asking this question, I wanna ask them, well, how much suffering is God allowed that he could still be good? If, could he allow a little bit of suffering? I mean, I, I, uh, mosquitoes love to bite me. They don't touch my wife at all. They don't bite her at all. For me, it's suffering It's a very tiny amount of suffering, so would it be okay if God allowed that tiny amount of suffering? But it's not okay if He allows a lot of suffering. And at what point does it become not okay? So is the skeptic and the atheist okay when bad people suffer? But is the part about the innocent people suffering is that the part that's that's too much for them? And then the other question would be from a Christian perspective. And we say, no, no, we know that God is good. And I try my best to obey God. So why am I suffering? Uh, And so these are the two two things I want to look at today. These two kinds of suffering that seem unexplainable. And so if you think of the first one, how much suffering is okay for God to allow, and then God is still good? That implicit in the question is also a different question, which would be the better question. This is the question that really should be asked. If God is good, why isn't the world? But as soon as you phrase it that way, you immediately think of Genesis and how the Bible clearly answers that God didn't make the world this way. God made the world perfect. Actually, before sin, there were no mosquito bites. Maybe there were mosquitoes, but they didn't bite. So after sin, everything after sin was suffering for Adam and Eve. The tiniest little thing was like, well, we didn't have that before sin. Every little annoyance. So God actually doesn't allow any suffering. The way he made the world was no suffering. And then when you tried to introduce suffering through sin, the penalty was death. And death would get rid of all the suffering. All the suffering ends after death. So God doesn't allow any suffering, and he actually put boundaries and rules and said, actually, if you try to bring it here, it's, it's going to be over. So, but then that brings the question, so why has he been so merciful and kind for 6,000 years? It should just be over. So why? That's more the real question, because God actually doesn't allow any suffering. Um, it's pretty clear in the Bible where suffering comes from is from Satan. So all suffering should never be attributed to God. And to say that God allows suffering is kind of the wrong perspective. But let me give you some, uh, actually, where's my clicker? Um, Because as we know, God is love. Uh, From 1 John 4, 16, it says, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. So the reason that, uh, that we see 6,000 years of suffering is because God is love, but he is not a dictator. So I'm going to give um, a few verses that will give us some perspective because the, these ones are uh, difficult verses. These are problematic because you think, well, no, I think the Bible does say that God even causes suffering. Let's let's see. Oh, these these verses will give us uh, some perspective. Um, I think I introduced these verses a little bit wrong, but uh, Exodus fifteen twenty six says, uh, "If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and wilt do that which is right in His sight and will give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes." I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I've brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. See, right there, it says that God won't give you the diseases that he did give to the Egyptians. So isn't God causing suffering? Isn't he causing diseases? And then he gives a stipulation that if you obey him, he won't do that. And so you start thinking, oh, am I suffering because I'm not obeying all the way? Is that why I'm suffering? Um, I think this is an extremely important verse, and I think if we took this to heart and actually followed it, we would have amazing blessings. I think people say, why doesn't God heal miraculously anymore? Well, do you know anyone who follows all of his statutes and commandments? Uh, Because he gives us a promise here. But it's that part about him putting the diseases on us. That's a little bit of a problem, because I just said he doesn't allow suffering and he doesn't give us diseases. All disease comes from Satan. And then John, uh, John 9, one through three, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That's a very good question, because it just said that if you obey God, None of these diseases will be put upon you. And blindness was in Egypt. That's one of the diseases of Egypt. He promised he would not put that on you. So then the disciples say, well, then who sinned? Because he he was blind from birth. Did he have time to sin before he was blind, and then that's why he's blind? Or is it that his parents sinned? And why would they go to that idea that his parents sinned? Exodus twenty five and 6, this is in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not bow thyself down to them, nor serve them, for I am the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So the disciples are saying, well, it could be his parents that sinned. Actually, they could have gone further back and said, or was it his grandparents that sinned? Is that why he's blind? Um, Well, in, but anyway, the disciples are saying, um, so was it his sin or his parents' sin? Because that verse we just read said uh, that if we obey him, then he will keep those diseases from us. And if we have those diseases, that means we didn't obey. So he says, well, which one is it? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? Um, And then Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the work of God should be made manifest in him. So it gives a third reason here why there might be sin. And it almost sounds like this is how we interpret it. This is how we do in real life. We say, well, God wanted me to be blind, he made me blind so that he could heal me and do something good. And so then we justify like, oh no, I was blind because that way God can do a miracle in my life. That's the reason why. And God kind of implies that that's true. Um, Except that maybe what he's really implying is that because sin is in the world, everyone is subject to sin. We don't like to think that sin is that sinful. We like to think that it's kind of a like, well you earned your sin. You you did something and that's why you're suffering. And this is why atheists have that big problem and skeptics and they'll say, "Yeah, but what about this case of someone who was innocent and they're suffering? How do we explain that?" So the skeptics are just asking the same question the disciples are. Well, why is he blind? He was blind from birth. He didn't do anything. Uh, and then we have another one, Numbers 21.6. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. So there's a very clear example. This is when they're in the wilderness, and they were disobeying God. They were following God, and now they're not following God. And then God, to punish them, sends in the fiery serpents. So there you have it. God caused the suffering because he wants to make them come back to him. That's the reason he caused it. I'm going to propose to you that there's something else going on here. The area that they were in already had fiery serpents. And up until this time, they were obeying, and God kept the fiery serpents away because of obedience. But when they disobey, now God cannot protect them. It's not that he chooses not to. It's that he only has a right in your life if you give him that permission. Because remember, God is love. So if God is love and not a dictator, he can't use force. And if he can't force you to obey him, then he has to allow you to not obey him. But in not obeying him, you'd say, well, but that seems really cruel. These people obeyed him for a long time. Don't they get something for that? Why couldn't he continue to keep the fiery serpents away? Well, then what would the people conclude from that scenario? We don't have to obey him, and we're protected, so there's no point in obeying him. Because we're protected anyway. So why would we need to obey him? And it would send the signal that God isn't the only one who can protect you and do goodness because we can serve not God and still receive the blessing. Um, so in this world, when uh, you, you might even think of the question, well, why did God allow sin, uh, sin to enter the world to begin with? Why didn't he just make it so that Adam and Eve could never sin and that way they'd always be happy? Except the problem there is because God is love, he's not creating robots. He doesn't want you to love them because you have to and so if he prevented any sin from entering, then you would not actually be choosing to love him. You would have to love him. Uh, and so now that we have this kind of idea, why does the Bible phrase it this way? The Lord sent fiery serpents and the Lord put the diseases on the Egyptians. Why, why this kind of language? Well, that's because God speaks to us the way we speak. Look at this uh, verse in Joshua. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou, Moon, in the valley of Ajalon. So Joshua commands the sun, "Sun, stand still, and Moon, you stay right there. Everyone knows the sun doesn't move. What kind of miracle is it to command the sun to stand still? The sun is always still. That's not a miracle. The miracle is the perception. From our vantage point, the sun appears to be moving. We all know it doesn't move. We know that we're the ones moving. So you could say, well, he's not even performing a miracle. The sun is always still. It's from the perspective. And so if God is in control and then God removes his protection and the fiery serpents go in, it's the same thing as, you know, as the writer says, God's sending the fiery serpents, because he could have protected, stopped them. So because he could have stopped them, then it phrases it like, he sent them. Um, But they were, those serpents were already there and he just removed protection. Um, And so now that gets us to another major conundrum that we have. Let's look at the personal suffering, the kind of suffering that we suffer on a personal level that we can't really explain. Lord I've been praying about this and you're not taking it away. Um, So I'm going to suggest to you a very common scenario and um, it's way too common, it's unfortunate, Um, but I'm going to keep it general, you can fill in the details in your mind. But a common scenario is that, in some way, a man violates a woman. And so this happens all the time. It's very common. You may have experienced it yourself. You may probably, if you haven't, you know someone who has. Now, put yourself in the shoes of either person, because we have been both people at different times. We have violated other people, and we have been violated. We can easily see ourselves in either position. Now, when someone is violated, obviously, you should blame the person who violated them. They, that's the, the perpetrator. That's the person who deserves the blame. But what we do instead, and, and, and if you have violated someone, and you're um, you're very regretful, then you might say, well, how did I do, how did, how was I capable of doing this horrible thing and then the victim will say you know I shouldn't have gone out that night that's why this happened I could have stayed in actually my friend invited me to do something different actually why did I trust that guy I shouldn't have trusted. I was told I was warned about him but I didn't listen and Maybe, maybe I should have dressed differently. Maybe if I dressed differently, this wouldn't have happened. And so you can suddenly get yourself into this tangle where you realize you did things, and if you had done different things, this never would have happened. And then you start in this spiral of thinking that you actually control things in life. So even though, yes, you could have made other choices, But could you always perfectly always make the right choice for your whole life? That's ridiculous. No one can do that. But we start thinking, like, well, we mostly make good choices, and then this one time we let up our guard, so it's kind of our fault. And do you see why we might start blaming God? Because we might say, well, it was my fault that this horrible thing happened because I could have done something else. And God watches these things happen. And God allows it because he could have prevented it. So we, could have, we think we could have prevented terrible things from happening. And so we also think that God could prevent terrible things from happening. So see how the, the cycle goes around and around. And you're starting to blame yourself when actually it's clear that even if you did all the wrong things, it's still a crime what happened. The person still has no excuse to do it. Um, Think of this, you might be familiar with this. This was published in 1971 by Abby Hoffman and the book is titled, Steal This Book. The cover tells you to break the law. If you break the law, are you still guilty of breaking the law when it just told you to break the law? Well guess what? Telling someone to break the law is not changing the laws and giving them permission. This book actually costs money. You're not supposed to steal it, it has a price on it. Because if you, if it was free, it's not stealing. And so you couldn't possibly steal the book if it was free. So it's not free, it has a price, and you can't steal it. If you steal it, you're still a criminal. So if someone wears the wrong clothing, or does the most suggestive things you can think of, that gives no permission for anyone to do something because of the title on the book. That's not a permission. And so even though we make terrible decisions, it's not okay for terrible things to happen. And God doesn't see it that way. He doesn't say, well, you know, I would have protected you except you did all the wrong things, so I'm not going to protect you. I can't. You know, that would be wrong. Obviously, you were asking for it. But this is how we start thinking about these things. Let's look at, uh, this is a famous incident in the Bible that's very, very similar to this. King David sees somebody and decides he wants her to be his wife. And she was dressed very provocatively. Actually, she was undressed provocatively. And so he decides, well, it's okay. I should just have this. Then he regrets what he does. And listen to his, his plea. So this is after he has Uriah killed so that he can take Uriah's wife to be his own wife. And then David writes, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according Unto the multitude of thy tender mercies blot out my transgressions. That's what we want when these things happen. We just want it to all go away. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. This is what happens. We can't get away from it. It's constantly with us. Um, then he says, and against thee, thee only, have I sinned. How is that possible? Didn't he sin against Uriah? Isn't that the most obvious conclusion that he did this horrible thing to Uriah and then stole Uriah's wife? But here David says, Against God only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speak and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Oh, he's giving us a hint of what he means he was shaped in sin he lives in a sinful world so when when a lion kills a person we think what a horrible tragedy but nowhere do we say what a terrible lion no the lion was being a lion and doing what lions do we kind of don't even hold them guilty if a sinner does what he's made to do he's going to sin and so he's just doing the sin that he was created to do. He says, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts thou shalt make me to know wisdom. So David is saying, when I look at it deeply, I'm just a sinner. And so I have sinned against you, God, because God is love. So all sin is against God. And then I'm going to posit to you, all sin is caused by Satan. It's not caused by God. You know, we have a terrible habit of saying things like, well, God wanted this terrible thing to happen in my life so that this good thing could come out of it. That's how we like to phrase it. But the Bible doesn't say that. What the Bible actually says is that, I know, I th- actually, I think I didn't even put that verse on here. Um, but, the, but in Romans, it says that God works all things together for good for those that love him. It doesn't say God caused all these bad things to happen so that he could work them to, for good for those that love him. No. It says he took the things that were bad that were not his fault, not his cause. Actually, it was Satan. So as Satan works his iniquity through our life, God says, that's okay, I'm going to take that mess and I'm gonna make this good thing come out of it. And then we think that the bad thing had to happen in order for the good thing to happen. And that's not how it is. God could take perfect things and make nice things happen. We could learn the very same lessons without the sin. Um, But this is how we like to phrase things and we get around things. We have this habit of asking, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? And actually, that premise is false, too, because the Bible tells us that there's none good, no, not one. And actually, it goes even further. Psalm 14, 2 to 3, the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy, filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one which is probably why Jesus famously answered. And behold, one came and said unto him, "'Good master, what thing shall I do "'that I may have eternal life?' "'And he said unto him, "'Why callest thou me good? "'There is none good but one, that is God.'" Why was Jesus saying there's none good but one? It's because Psalm says there's, that God looked on the earth and there weren't any good people. So when bad things happen, it's not to good people. It's, there are no good people. So it's a, it's a um, kind of a non sequitur of a question. It doesn't even make sense. Um, bad things don't happen to good, th- good people. Except you say, well, let's, say, let's think about what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, are you associating me with God by calling me good? Because actually that's true. That actually is true. Jesus was... The only good human. He did not sin once. If we go to 1 Peter, Peter acknowledges this: for even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us. So Christ, who was perfect and did not sin, was allowed to suffer. So here we have it. God does allow suffering. Here's a the only good person that ever lived, and then we're told, He suffered. And it says, leaving us as an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. So he suffered not because he he himself was sinful. He suffered because he was in a world of sin. And other people are free to torture him because God doesn't force anybody so when people see his goodness they hated that and they tortured him so you can suffer because of your sins meaning God has kind of given us an outline of how to live and said if you obey me meaning if you live the way I've shown you to live you will avoid all these horrible things Um, but if you make other decisions, you will have to suffer the consequences of those decisions. And so those decisions can be quite tragic, and the consequences can be quite tragic, but it's not because God is punishing you, it's because sin is that bad. So sin does these horrible things, so horrible that even if you're good, meaning, let's say that you give your life to Christ, you devote all of your time and attention to Christ. He guarantees you that the world is gonna hate you and you'll suffer because of his name. So, you can suffer because you rebel against God or you can suffer because you obey God. It's not much of a choice, is it? And so, here we have these two paths colliding and the end of the Bible tells us the same thing is gonna happen. The, the beast system is going to say, you can obey me or else I'll kill you. And Jesus says, actually, if you obey him, I'm going to kill you. Which, which way do you want to die? Do you want to die on earth, in your body, or do you want to die at the resurrection in your soul and your body? So one of them trumps the other, but we have no choice. We're going to die. Are you gonna die because we follow God or because we reject God? We're gonna suffer either way. But we can see in scripture that those two sufferings are very different. When you're suffering for Christ, guess who lifts you up? Actually, in literal ways. He literally takes away the disease. He literally picks you up. Now, I have a, a testimony from a friend of mine And she sent this, she said, I endured great suffering that put me on a fast track to God and changed my entire life. That suffering pierced the veil to everything I thought I knew and made me see my life through a new lens. The things I once deemed so important became so trivial and the things I once took for granted became so beautiful. I would go through that suffering all over again if it meant I would live life in a completely different way than I did before and bring me closer to God. Not all suffering is as bad as it seems. Amazing realizations come from great suffering. So this is is the verse about God working all things together for good for those that love him. So this great suffering that was meant actually to destroy this person became actually the way that they came into contact with God in an amazing way. And then um, God is able then to intervene and to heal and all of these things. But she's shared with me an experience that we might have all shared, that when God does these amazing things in your life and then you're like, everyone's gotta hear this. I bet they're gonna love to hear that there's hope. Look what God did for me. And she was very discouraged that not too many people wanted to hear that. Actually, some people decided not to be her friend anymore. like, wait, God took me out of all this suffering and now I'm just suffering again. I'm suffering, but it's for Christ this time. So Christ's suffering for us was not because he was sinful but because the world is sinful and are we any better are we not living in the same sinful world so then that's how uh, paul can say that he counts it all joy to be counted worthy to suffer for the name of christ um, so that's a very different kind of suffering but we don't you know god doesn't give us the uh the the painful kind of suffering, like the physical suffering, the sickness and disease. He doesn't give us that so that we'll obey him more. The kind of suffering he wants us to suffer is because we love him so much we don't belong here anymore that people are going to reject us. And so this is why our health message is so important. This is why um, our obedience to God is so important because when we obey, he has permission to keep the diseases of Egypt away, and then we are a light unto the world for his message, which then we will suffer for that message, but not the diseases of Egypt. It won't be that kind of suffering. It's very different. Um, Psalm 107:17 says, fools, and by fools, it means people lacking wisdom. So people who lack wisdom because of their transgression and because of their iniquity are afflicted. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He saveth them out of their distress. He sent in His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. That's very interesting. This is in Psalms. He sent in His Word. Over and over in the Old Testament, it says, if you obey my word, I will keep the diseases away. And then he literally sent his son, Jesus, who was called the word of God. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. So I'm gonna close here again with our scripture reading. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that very soon all these tears will be passed. And Lord, we know that there is much, much suffering in our own lives, in the lives of others, and in the whole world. But Lord, we know that that is not caused by you. But actually, you desire nothing more than to save us out of it. And you've given us instruction and promises that you will. So, Lord, we claim these promises today, that you will save us from our suffering, that we instead might suffer for your name, for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.